Welcome to Conversations with Pussy. This is a podcast which holds liberating and empowering conversations about sexuality, pleasure and healing. We're focused on supporting all vagina owners to feel free and excited about having a loving and soulful connection with their pussy. I'm your host, Grace Hazel. In this episode of Conversations with Pussy, I chat to evolutionary astrologist Daisy Douglas. Daisy has the gift of speaking directly to the soul to uncover exactly what is needing to be worked through, cleared and healed, so her clients can step into their highest potential and most authentic selves. It's Daisy's mission to bring people back into a genuine state of empowerment. I love this episode. There's so much within it, but specifically what we talk about is how sex and love links into your astrological chart. We go into the incredible story of Lilith and how the shadow side of our sexuality is stored in our Lilith area of our chart. (laughs) Said that kind of weirdly. However, it's a really good story which will support you to see perhaps the places that you suppress yourself sexually or what you push into shadow sexually. We also look into how astrology can support us in accepting and celebrating all of the intricacies that is our sexuality and how they're so individual and different to us and each and every human being. And we talk about how astrology can support us to understand if we are sexually compatible with our partner or our lovers. So I hope that you enjoy this episode. You may wish to get a notebook out for this one so you can take some notes on all that is spoken about. I hope that you enjoy. Oh, Daisy, I (laughs) am so excited to have you on Conversations with Pussy Series 2. It is glorious right now as we're recording as I've got your face in front of me and I feel that from our first meeting and I think actually really it was our first and only proper meeting in Bali. Since then I've just been almost like fangirling you through Instagram like wow everything you say is always so spot on. So I just want to say I'm excited. I'm so happy that you said yes to coming on to Conversations with Pussy and welcome. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really honored to be on here with you as well because I'm also such a fan of your work and how much permission you give so many humans in this world to, you know, embrace themselves and their sexuality. So I'm very, very grateful. Well, thank you. I have a couple of questions for you before we dive deep into the work that you do. And specifically today, I'm quite excited to open up into the work you do, but linking it into sexuality. But before we go there, I'd like to ask, what are your pronouns? Yeah, so my pronouns are she and her. Wonderful. Okay. And I'm going to switch around questions just for now, because I feel like once we get into the work you do, we're not going to want to leave. So the question is, because we're conversations with pussy here, what's the name that you call your genitals? 
So I, I mean, I, I'm, I throw around different words in terms of just like labeling, you know, vagina pussy. Um, but I was thinking like, cause I saw when you wrote on the, on the scheduling link, you're like, Oh, can we, you know, give your, do you have a name for like your genitals? And I was like, Hmm, I think I'd like to call my, my pussy Turkish delight. <laughs> But I'm not Turkish. I just like eating Turkish delight. I rose flavored. And so I was like, and it was also my burning man name. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to call my vagina Turkish delight. <laughs> That's one of my favorite vagina names that I have ever, ever heard. And actually, Turkish delights are so good. Yeah. <laughs> flavor that I think when I was growing up I was like mm, not sure about this but there was a moment when I <laughs> doing air quote came of age that I suddenly <laughs> began to understand the delicacy of the light <laughs> so I love that the delicacy piece is coming in and linking into your genitals that is amazing <laughs> yeah thank you <laughs> so what is the biggest thing, the most transformational thing that you and your Turkish delight, your, your genitals have been through? Oh, wow. I mean, I think, because uh, I think in relation as well, I saw you writing about, you know, in relationship to like your early years as well and being at a younger age. I think for me, and it's something I'm still very much working through because, you know, of how deep the conditioning can be, but just really continuing to move through shame. And um, I was like a really, really sexually curious child, as I think, you know, many people can be. And I got very, very punished for that, you know, and very... Um, I just like developed a lot of shame around, but I was so sexually curious, you know, with girls, with boys, just like, whoa, I wanted to know it all. And it was so innocent as well. Um, and so I think that's probably one of the biggest things that I've been working through is just really trying to reprogram that and like reaffirm safety to my inner child and that it's okay to be sexually curious. And I think again, like, and it ties into Lilith, which we can talk about later, but just this awareness of how, how crazy it is that we have developed so much shame around that which is so natural and you know that's because in the patriarchal society we're living by man-made law which distorts natural law and natural law is so intertwined with our natural sexuality so it's really yeah it's been very fascinating to explore that <laughs> thank you so much for bringing this up because as you were describing that piece around um, when you were growing up and actually realizing that you were naturally quite explorative with boys, with girls, you were exploring your sexuality as a young child, as a young woman. And I want to say child really, because that's when we start really beginning to go, oh, I'm feeling these things and I want to explore in these ways. And it is so innocent. and. Um, I remember one of the first sexuality circles that I ever sat in and it was called um, Masturbation for Healing or something like that. And I remember the edge of going to sit in that circle, but there was an, an all round edge for every single person that was sat there. Mm -hmm. And instead of talking about masturbation now, everyone went into 
early experiences that they remember as a child that they held shame around. And it was like that natural bubbling of sexual, sexual energy when they would play with their friends or encourage their friends to do certain things. And because we've now created a narrative around that as an adult, then that natural innocent thing that happened becomes an area that we're like, oh my goodness, that's heavy. I can't go back there. And actually some of the most amazing work that I've done with myself and also with clients is to actually just giggle about those things <laughs> to be like, Oh my God, can we just have a moment to crack up about how funny and sweet and innocent we were as a child playing like that. So yeah. thank you for bringing that to the table. Cause it's a permission yeah. to most folks too. Yeah. And I mean, I remember like when I was younger, I would have dreams that like, and I was like a little, little girl that the police were going to come and arrest me and take me to jail because I was like masturbating. Like, it's so crazy how at a young age, you kind of have that distorted awareness that's coming through in your subconscious even. It's like, oh, yeah, but it's good to bring, bring lightness and joy to it. So Hmm, yeah. most definitely yeah. I'm, I'm also curious just to ask the question especially because of the the intensity of hearing you say when I when you were young that you would have those dreams about the police coming to get you yeah. I'm curious to ask where do you think that conditioning linked from I know you just spoke about the patriarchal space but do you have an idea of where that may have come from yeah, I think it's I think it's deeply rooted in in the society that I grew up in because my my mom who was like my main parent, she she was really open. Like herself as an individual, she's not like a very like sexually open person, but like my mom and I we've always been able to talk about everything together. Like I will tell her whenever, you know, if I've had sex with someone, like it's a very open dialogue and she's always been very like you know, happy to discuss those things with me. Um, but, but I think it's probably just generational and ancestral trauma, to be honest, more related to like my grandparents and great grandparents generation. And I, I mean, it's, I'm going to go into it now as well. Just the fact that I, in the past couple of years was also dealing and still am dealing a lot with an in, internal, not external, but internal homophobia of myself <laughs> because I started having dreams like in my late late teens or early early 20s um, I'd never like physically in person been attracted to women but, th but then I started having dreams of when I was of like you know making out with a woman or you know being sexual with a woman and it was so crazy to see the intensity of this like internal homophobia that I had that I never have to anybody else. I'm, you know, love is love. I'm so romantic in that way and I'm so supportive, but I really think that was my dad. I could feel that masculine side of me, like, you know, already being an astrologer and my dad was never supportive of what I do. I think just like this extra step of maybe having that sexual um, orientation was like the, oh my God, I'm not loved. I won't survive. Like the inner child just freaks out, you know? And I also think my dad is very, he has a lot of issues, uh, homophobia issues kind of thing. And I think I've internalized that. And so it's, it's been a really, really interesting journey just to be de deprogramming and deconditioning all of this. <laughs> mm. yeah. And yeah, thank you again for, for sharing that because that 
that piece around the internalized homophobia. Yeah. I believe in, and that's something that I grew up with for a predominant part of me realizing that I was attracted to women when I was in my early teen years, you know, having a, a moment where I kissed one of my friends when we were out and then being like, oh my goodness, that feels really good. And I feel really like this is a thing for me, but also having that internalized homophobia and also fear of, like you just said, I'll be kicked out of the community. What will be said about me? Um, so to, to really squash those pieces down, when again, they're really natural, beautiful pieces of just being in the human experience, having attraction to all types of bodies. And so I feel like, again, thank you, because it's again, just having conversations like this to say how normal it is to feel those feelings, but also to internally squash them or create a narrative around them which is based on what we think that people think will think mm. whether that coming is coming from caregivers whether that is coming from the folks that we are hanging out with um so thank you for bringing that yeah of course and yeah i think again it's just so these things run so deep and it's very interlinked with the deep conditioning i think from certain religions in the church and everything that stem back you know over centuries and because it's it's always been interesting like i've never had an issue talking about this stuff with my friends and i'm very open about talking about it but that conditioning it's still so deeply ingrained and so yeah it's and and for me like the ultimate freedom is to move past all of these things and to reclaim you know our sovereignty so Absolutely. Um, I want to share with you something which is almost like that reclaiming of our sovereignty and freedom um, in comparison to where perhaps I would have been years and years and years ago. Um, I came out to my friends, it was probably about two or three years ago when I started dating a woman and I was really falling in love with her. And so that was a big process for me of actually having to say and come out. Um, but I was on a date with a man the other day and it was just really beautiful to be up front and just say, hey, so just so you know, I'm bisexual. And it's like those being able to actively say, this is how I feel and this is who I am, rather than hiding those pieces. And this applies to, to most things, right? But being able to say it, there's something in me that always feels more solid, more grounded, more whole, when I can own the parts of me that previously I have felt shame or I have tried to push away or not acknowledge or own. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and it's so multi-layered, you know, I think from a very Aquarian perspective, I think everyone is just on a spectrum, you know, and also these subconscious um, fears that we hold, like, I think, I know personally for me, like, I, I know, and it's been such a journey because having these dreams confused me so much, it made me question so many things, but I do feel romantically, I'm very much with the masculine, and there's a lot of healing around that for me in this lifetime because of my my father and but i i know that there's these sexual fantasies that can come through in my subconscious with the feminine and it's really interesting because when we dive more into the astrology stuff i have my venus and mars in cancer and if anything this is like a subconscious symbolism of the fact that like sexually in this lifetime when you have strong cancerian energy like you just need this very very tender touch and care you know it can't be too aggressive or 
which some people love the aggression and then, you know, which is beautiful. But with cancer, it's like you need more of a feminine lover to feel very, very safe. So, yeah, it's super fascinating to see how it's all, you know, interlinked. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, you've already just got me excited because um, I'm now tracking back and let's start to talk about this work because it's so juicy and I know that the listeners are just going to be gagging to understand this more. Um, the first time that I sat in one of your workshops, this it, it was a workshop which was um, having a focus around sexuality. So we started to talk about Lilith, we started to talk about um, where our Venus was. And I remember actually the, the funny thing because we're both Virgos. So there were some similarities in the links of our chart. And actually, I also have my Venus in Cancer. And quite funnily, I always, and it, it, it gives me like a big eye roll when it happens because I'm like, what? This is wild how it always happens. Mostly, my partners are Cancerians. Yeah. So whether that be in relationships, friendships, I'm always attracting Cancerians and they are the folks that I feel that I can be myself with the most. They bring out my sensitivity and my softness even more because sometimes being Virgo, I can be quite rigid. And so it's like their supportive wateriness, the Cancerianness, really evokes that within me. So I really resonate with that. Now, yeah. before we really go into it, what I'd like to do is just to, to ask you, what is it that you do? Yeah, so I practice evolutionary astrology amongst other things. I mean, I'm very passionate. I think the overarching thing that I am very focused on is just authenticity um, as, you know, our as a path to just living a happy and fulfilled life. Cause I believe the more in alignment we are with our authentic expression, the more supported we feel by the universe purely because we're manifesting from our inner reality. So the more we're internally aligned, the more the universe is going to be reflecting that back to us. And the lessons tend to be more gentle than the universe being like, Hey, you need to get back on track, you know, with some like more intense lessons. So the beautiful thing is that astrology is just such a powerful tool. I was listening to one of my all time favorite teachers yesterday giving a lecture. He's his past now. His name's Jeffrey Wolf Green, and he's actually the father of evolutionary astrology. And he was just saying how astrology is the symbolic language of God or the symbolic language of the universe. And it's also the study of life. So that's essentially, yeah, what I, what I do is I, I read people's blueprints and, and um, I love helping people to just understand their soul's karmic development and, and where they've come from in their past lifetimes and how they can step into their highest potential in this lifetime. Mm, thank you. Can you remind me of what, what it is your teacher's name? Because I think it cut out slightly and also just repeat that quote because I want to speak to that quote because it really feels like it's going in my system in a way that it resonates. Beautiful. Yeah. So one of my, I mean, the father of evolutionary astrology, his name is Jeffrey Wolf Green. And he was the one that, that, that received this whole paradigm through a dream. He'd never wanted to be an astrologer. He was very spiritually conscious and aware man, but he just wanted to be devoted to God. He didn't want to have any of these other tools. 
And then he had this dream from this ancient, um, I believe Native American teacher, like his name was like Sri Yuktisawar, but I might not be pronouncing it properly. And he was just downloaded with this whole paradigm that had never come through into the earth plane before. And so this was the first paradigm of astrology that involved the soul. Because previously, astrology, it's much more characterizing people, profiling people. Um, but evolutionary astrology actually helps people to understand the why. And so we're not profiling you. We're not like, oh, you're a Leo. So that means you're this. We're like, you are a Leo because of this and where you have come from in the past. And so your soul has chosen this expression. And this is, yeah. So, and the quote that he said was that astrology is, is the symbolic language of God yeah thank you so much so it, it it really feels like and um i when i first started finding astrology my original um reaction to it when when i was young was to be really resistant to it so originally i was like oh i'm a virgo and this means that this that and the other and i guess that links to that thing around really characterizing yourself and it was only when I started to dive into the whole of my, um, of the landscape of my chart that things started to really become refined and exciting for me in a way that I was like, what is this magic? How is it that by checking in with the way that things were aligned at my date of birth, that you were really speaking to me on a deeper level about who it is that I am and where it is that I'm going and why. And um, for me, that feels like a liberation. It feels like almost like a, a structuring that can support me to understand myself deeper and also the way that I respond and react in my relationships. Mm, yeah, so beautiful. And it's so interesting that you mentioned this as well, because it makes me think how even though astrology, you know, for many people has considered, you know, they've considered maybe people in the consensus consider astrology to be a little bit more woo woo and all of these things, there still has been a patriarchal interpretation of the archetypes. And so there has been a patriarchal interpretation of being a Virgo and being a Capricorn and being a Leo, which in many ways can still limit people from really being able to honor. Uh, this is something else really beautiful that I'd like to mention that also Jeffrey Wolf Green said. He said that astrology abides by natural law, not by patriarchal man-made law. So again, for many of us to be honoring our authentic blueprint, we have to be defying the conditioning of the man-made law that we have been born into and to be really stepping back into natural law. Um, so yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. And if we were to dive a little bit more into the piece around sexuality so that we can really link this in. So we touched on it a little bit earlier and said, um, about where our Venus is, but also about, I mentioned a bit about Lilith. So I will say that, um, and I can imagine that some folks that are listening to this are going to be really well versed in astrology, but mm -hmm. I'm going to take it from my perspective is, which is like, I have, have really little understanding. So I'd love to, um, take it from that level. So folks can really understand what does that mean? What does it mean? Um, to have a to have a certain alignment in Mars and Lilith, and maybe we can go one by one. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, so I think yeah, when it comes to looking at the 
sexuality aspect in the birth chart. Of course, there's many, many different combinations and, and, and um, planetary aspects and things we can work with. But firstly, I'll just cover the basics. And so with Venus, Venus is speaking more to our desires in love. You know, Venus is more of this like, oh, you're cute. Like it's more sweet. But of course, then there's going to be some different interpretations if Venus is like in Aries, for example. So it can shift a little bit. But Venus is more of our experience of the sweetness of love. Whereas Mars, it's more like testosterone. So Mars is like, this is how I want to fuck, you know? <laughs> but again, then you can have Mars in an archetype that softens it a little bit. So there will always be some differentiation and some overlap as well. Um, and then also I was, yeah, Lilith speaks to more of the shadow side of our sexuality in some ways. Um, and, and we can also find that in the eighth house as well, because the eighth house is speaking to the spiritual and emotional experience of merging and intimacy with another. But in the eighth house, that's where we can also find our fears, our phobias, our taboo, our shame. And then also the fifth house is the realm of kind of like sexual energy flings, um, you know, temptation of the inner child. And then the second house is a house of procreation. So yeah, there's these different little bits we can look to in the natal chart. <laughs> Amazing. And linking it back to Lilith, something that you said when I, when I met you in that workshop, you explained the story of Lilith and your interpretation of Lilith. And I'm feeling like maybe we can open up that, that story because for days and days afterwards, it was like all of these, um, all of this information started flooding through me around who Lilith was, what she was depicted as, and actually her true nature. So I would love to hear that from your mouth again, because it inspired me so much. Yeah, yeah, I would love to. So yeah, Lilith, Lilith is incredible. Um, in the birth chart, I'm working with uh, Black Moon Lilith, and she is essentially, well, I'm actually working with the osculating apogee for people who are a little bit more versed in astrology. I work with the true Lilith ra rather than the mean Lilith, meaning her true nature and movement, which is much more erratic than the average measure. Um, but yeah, I see Lilith as essentially the feminine that has not been tainted by the patriarchy and Lilith speaks to an incredible gift that we hold within us an incredible power and sovereignty that we have essentially been brainwashed over centuries to believe is incredibly bad evil shameful um, and so wherever we have Lilith in the birth chart it can speak to where we've been punished in our past lifetimes where we might have been punished as a child um, also where we might have seen other people punished and so we kind of internalized okay I can never be this and so Lilith can become a very exiled and shut down shadowed part of our expression which of course whatever we shut down then, then can come out in a distorted way and so the reason why we have been taught that Lilith is so bad which she isn't is because she challenges the patriarchal paradigm she is the power that can literally help to break down the illusion of the patriarch and man-made law so Lilith is all about natural law and natural expression. And she speaks to 
And when I say the feminine, I mean in men and women. I don't just mean in women, but she speaks to how the feminine, um, you know, is sexually free, is sexually sovereign. And in Lilith's story, she was in Jewish mythology, the first wife to Adam before Eve. And she was essentially banished from the Garden of Eden for refusing to have sex in a missionary position. She wanted to be equal to Adam, you know, she wanted to also be able to sexually enjoy herself. And so she was quote unquote banished from the Garden of Eden. She was sent to the Red Sea of the demons, which also is translated to a woman on her period when a woman was unable to be used for procreation. Um, and then they said, you know, how she was a demonic woman who was um, giving birth to all of these demonic children. And what that actually meant was that she was just giving birth to children out of wedlock. She was giving birth to, as they would say, bastards. Um, so she was just this, and essentially they, they use this story to make women so afraid of being like, well, I can never do any of those things. That's horrible. And it was just a way to really manipulate and brainwash people um, to step out of their power, uh, you know, their feminine power. And with Lilith, wherever we find her in the chart, whatever archetype she's in, it definitely speaks to this, this aspect of the feminine that we've been taught to feel you know, shame around whether for me it's in Leo, it's like this very expressive. And again, like as a child, it was like, stop attention seeking, stop taking up so much space. Um, you know, and I have it in the ninth house. And it's funny because throughout my childhood, I definitely received bullying from teachers and from children around the kinds of belief systems that I wanted to have, which is all ninth house stuff. Um, so understanding Lilith has also really, really helped me to step back into my power and to understand why a certain part of my being is triggering people because, and it's made me realize, oh wait, it actually is not got not anything to do with me. You know, it's because these people are so afraid to honor a part of themselves that they have shut down so deeply. They're not even aware of. They're just projecting this, this shame onto me, you know, or onto all of us. It happens, you know, in all directions. So yeah, it's really, really powerful to understand this archetype. Thank you so much. And actually that, that part that really got me, that really stuck with me was the, um, the looking at the story of Eden in a different way and to look at Lilith and um, particularly the part that, that really struck me when you first described that was how Lilith was like, actually, I don't want to be fucked in missionary anymore. So I'm, it's like, I'm going to stand up to this and say, this is not for me. And how that has been then, she's been so tainted down the line because she was a woman um, or a being that stood up to man, which I think is, is really huge in history, right? Um, there was a piece that I remember that you linked in around Lilith actually being the snake that came back into the Garden of Eden. Oh yeah, and was the one that like tempted um, Eve to take the apple. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so, I love that for sure. It's, it's, yeah, that's a beautiful piece. And also, I also wanted to mention how Lilith is very much connected to how the collective feminine consciousness went through the dark night of the soul. And 
I also believe that now in today's society, how we are seeing a, an uprise again with tools such as in astrology and tarot and sexuality, you know, all of these things, I do believe that's a sign that Lilith is starting to be reintegrated, you know, all of this body positivity and everything, because Lilith is meant to defy, you know, beauty standards and all of these standards that are placed on us as how we should be showing up. Um, and in many ways, Lilith is the aspect of our feminine self that we might feel even quite or we've been conditioned to feel disgusted by whatever that might be for you as an individual. And especially I like to say to Virgos or to people who have strong Virgo in them is really, really interesting to look at the correlation between the, this internalized guilt that Virgos can be very prone to giving themselves people born with Pluto in the sixth house, Pluto and Virgo, um, because Virgo is the archetype of the Virgin, the ideal state, you know, perfection, which of course is ultimately an illusion. But when we look at Virgo through the patriarchal lens, the Virgo is like, oh, I have to take on board everything that is considered sinful or everything that is considered dirty. And so whatever your conditioning is around that, which is dirty as a Virgo you, is where you can cause a lot of internalized guilt and shame for yourself. And I was, again, to link back to him, Jeffrey Wolf Green, he was speaking about a woman that he, um, that was one of his clients. And I, don't, I hope you don't mind me mentioning this because it's a bit intense what I'm about to say. So if it is, you can also cut it out. But, <laughs> but essentially, he was speaking about um, evolutionary necessity and a karmic situation that this internalized guilt from the patriarchy created for this woman in her evolution. And so this woman was naturally a very sensual and sexual woman in the ancient Roman times. You know, she was probably, a, you know, some kind of sex worker at some point. And as she came more into this, like, kind of, yeah, patriarchal, masculine dominant society, she was taught to feel a lot of shame around her sexuality. And that then, that internalized guilt that she felt so deep down about her sexual desires manifested as someone, as her becoming a sex slave to a man. And then two lifetimes later, the same man came into her life and, and raped this woman. And it was just really intense, of course, to learn about this situation, but just to see how deep this internalized guilt that we have due to our conditioning can manifest as, you know, really terrible experiences because we're on some level feeling like, oh my God, am I deserving of this? Because, I, you know, I'm so bad or something to have these desires. And that's why, again, it's just so important to be clearing, you know, these, all of this conditioning for ourselves because it's so, um, yeah, it's so horrible. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. And I get goosebumps as you say it, and it, it, it kind of feels like it links into that initial thing that we were talking around about the shame that you were tuning into and clearing from your, your child's life from when you were a child. And it's my belief. And of course I would say this because it's the work that I do, but it's my belief that if we want to start feeling liberated and more free and um, able to express ourselves in our sensuality and our sexuality, and actually that links into all aspects of our life, it is just a freeing process to how we express ourselves. We must go back 
to for me normally with clients it's going to be when they were like real young and all of those pieces of shame that they picked up along the way but what i'm hearing you say is actually through the the art form of of astrology that you are um that you were trained in that actually you can link it back and back and back towards past lives and past experiences that have happened there to clear out those pieces which will almost get to the the real root of the i always think of like the root of the tree once we get to that place it, it just yeah. affects all of the branches of how we show up to life now totally yeah yeah it's oh, evolutionary astrology it just blows me away it's so incredible to have a tool that can really link you because we see in evolutionary astrology the person that you are in this life the context that you were born into is all based off of the actions and decisions that you have made in your past lifetimes like it's all interlinked and as a child we come in deconditioned and very uninhibited in our emotional expression but we come in very fresh in our karma like the karma is what is driving the soul back into a physical body because if we didn't have karma left to clear or work on as a soul we would come back not as a human we come back as an angel or as a guide or you know we'd stay we'd be like okay i'm done with that now bye-bye <laughs> so yeah it's it's really powerful to see people's patterning and see and that can be such an incredible way to unlock them like you said um yeah dissolve the root absolutely yeah. and I'd love to almost do a little bit of an example because we, we looked at Virgo and um, particularly what surprised me or, or didn't surprise me really because it made sense was that when we were looking at where our Lil like where we were at in Lilith, I realized that I, as a Virgo, was a, a Virgo in Lilith too. Uh -huh. And um, I'm wondering if it might be helpful for folks if we could speak about what it means to have Lilith in Virgo because it may then translate for them when they can have a look at look it up and start to link in what does it mean to have a certain sign in their Lilith yeah definitely yeah and it's so interesting I was doing because of course Lilith is also going to be functioning it's always in again in evolutionary astrology we will always work with the client based on where their level of consciousness is at and we have three main stages of consciousness which is the consensus the individuated stage and the spiritualized stage. And within that, there's three stages within each, you know, and it's not to say that anybody is better than the other. It's just to say that every soul is on their own journey. And, you know, one soul is really at the end of their, their journey. They're the end of the spiritualized. They're about to leave the body. Um, and someone else might still be very much in the consensus, which we, um, in evolutionary astrology, we also relate to kind of religion, like any kind of belief system that causes segregation and, divides people is considered to stay in the consensus for example so so of course that the interpretation of every placement in the chart will always differ depending on where someone is at in their journey and for you of course being someone who is so um has done so much sexual work on themselves that lilith will definitely be operating through you in a slightly different way um, and so, yeah, again, wherever we have Lilith in the chart, we're always wanting to look to the house placement that it's in, as well as the archetype, because the house is going to speak to kind of the realm of your life where this Lilith energy might be showing up um, and where you might be finding people 
trying to shut this down in you in some way or getting triggered by a certain behavior in you in that area. Um, and then the archetype, you know, with Lilith and Virgo, I like to say it's kind of like taking the archetype to, to its extreme in a way. It's looking at maybe all of the shadowy things that people would say about this archetype that are actually shadowy because of our conditioning, not because they're actually shadowy. And so with Lilith and Virgo, that could come as like, um, I don't want to say like frigid, but like, you know, this kind of like um, very critical, very clean, very discerning, very, I don't want to let that into my field. That doesn't look okay for me. There's like this, ex, you know, extra detail orientation. But again, the thing with Lilith is it's not actually extra. It's actually a part of nature with Lilith, but we have been conditioned to see like, oh, that's frigid. Oh, you're being too clean. And this is just an example, you know, with the Virgo energy. And um, with it's so funny i have one of my best friends here and i did a composite chart for us and a composite chart is essentially when you put two people's charts and you blend them together and it makes one chart so it's like you and i become one person you know and we see who we are as one and it's so funny because my friend here with me people always know us as like the crazy clean maniacs you know we're like we gotta wash our hands we're showering before bed we have to, like we're just doing all of this stuff you know you know we're out together we're like oh we have to go to the bathroom we have to wash our hands we have to do it and everyone's just like okay you guys like we're gonna leave you to do that you know and i looked at our composite chart and we have lilith and virgo together it's so funny <laughs> But it's so cool because together we are able to really embrace that expression in each other. Whereas with other people, I do, I do sometimes feel ashamed around how like maybe OCD I want to be sometimes, you know, even though it's not actually OCD, it's just a beautiful understanding of detail orientation, you know, <laughs> and of efficiency and organization. So Absolutely. Yes. And I re I w I'm feeling like, again, it's like me back in the workshop, just being like, whoa, 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 whoa. But um, I was considering something yesterday, which is that I am so highly sensitive about who I allow in my field sexually, as oh. in very much like OCD about it. Yeah. And so it's like, having sex for me is a huge deal having yeah. sex and inviting a new energy is a huge deal but also this can come up for me when i'm in a long-term relationship if my partner's going through something that's quite heavy if they're processing a big thing i will naturally not want to be deeply intimate with them i think because maybe i, I don't know if this is true but this is what i tell myself because my moon is in pisces my energetic field when i have sex with someone i, I i'm like it's a big merging process. It's, yeah, it's huge. So, so with yeah. that Virgo piece with the Lilith, it's like, well, I know how deep that can go. So I'm very like, it's like cleanliness of my energy field. I don't want you coming into my energy field if you haven't had your energetic shower first, miss or mister. Yeah. Yeah. So I really resonate with that and um, feel that actually, while sometimes, and this is again something that it's again that Lilith nature of being like, I'm a little bit ashamed about how mm. I work in the field of sexuality and consider myself to be sex positive. However, I am very on cleanliness around sexual energy and interactions. Yeah. Like it's a thing for me. Totally. And actually, it's okay for that to be the case rather than to put shame on it and be like, oh, well, if I was sex positive, maybe I wouldn't feel so strongly about this. But I do. So. Yeah, totally, totally. And it's so beautiful. Like I was speaking to Ella, who's my housemate, who's living with me at the moment earlier. 
And I was like, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. Like, of course I'm allowed to say this on your podcast, but I was like, like as an adult, I'm genuinely not a very sexual person, you know? And it's just so important to say it because I think, I think as well, people can have a lot of pressure on themselves, especially in today's society where there is so much sex positivity of going, oh, well, is there something wrong with me? You know, and I definitely in the past might have had that, but I just realized I have been, I have Virgo cancer as well, combination. And sex is so emotional and spiritual for me. Like the pushing myself to have sex with someone when I just for the physical, it's like, it is, it's almost like a self betrayal because it's like, again, that just like that exchange of energy, it's so intense with the Cancerian energy as well, you know? Um, and so when I'm in a relationship with someone, I'm like, I could have sex with them all day. Right. But, but when I'm out of that kind of deep, safe container, my, my Mars and Venus and cancer is like, Oh, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's definitely. And again, for some people who have more fire and air in their birth chart and like fire and air, Venus and Mars, there's much more of a desire to have this physical intellectual experience of sexuality which is beautiful because there there's more of a yang energy for those people and that's it those are the people that are more um usually sexually open which is a beautiful thing because that's what really serves them but when you have more yin more earth and water you're usually much more internal and and that's why you're not maybe you're more protective of your energy field because there's like a more of a sensitivity and the earth just wants to feel very safe and stable. So, yeah. Thank you so much for bringing what you just said. And I love that you were asking Ella and for folks who are listening, I also know Ella. So it's nice to be like, oh, you were having this conversation with, with Ella. And actually, I love that you were like, well, can I say this on this podcast? And I'm so glad that you have because I fully resonate with that. I fully, everything that you just said, I could just be like, same too. And, um, <laughs> the the thing for me is I, I love the way that you also described about how actually if within your chart you've got a lot of fire and air it may be a completely different thing so yes for me I actually don't consider myself as a highly sexual person yes I am completely devoted to being in relationship with my sexuality however that doesn't mean that I'm pushing myself to be hypersexualized or or something that I perceive as someone being really sexual it's yeah. just not me and for me actually I think there is a a freedom in doing your work around sexuality so you know that if you are feeling super blocked about sex that it's not to do with something that is literally blocking your sexual energy flow but mm. also when we've done that to be like actually this is my unique sexual energy this is how I as a soul respond this mm. is what I um increased desire around and I think for, for me and you perhaps that is sharing deep emotional connection softness mm. sensuality in our intimacy rather than something that feels a little bit more physical and raw and erotic yes that's great but perhaps yeah. the truth of what I like is is slightly different but we're all so different and um I'm wondering, and I know we're nearly at time, but I think this is quite a, a juicy question to ask. Like when we're bringing in new partners into our life, there's a lot of talk um, in the sex positive spaces about actually putting forward as an importance, having a level of um, 
of of magnetism and um, sameness around our sexual desires with our partners or our sexual, um, I can't think of the word, our sexual, I'm just gonna say sexual desire, being at like a balance and that sometimes we can find ourselves with a partner who has way more sexual desire than perhaps us or maybe they're finding their erotic tendencies lies in a completely different place to where we do so if we were to look at it like this what can we do when we start to meet somebody um, in regards to looking at their chart and seeing in the ways that they may want to show up sexually in comparison to us yeah beautiful and you know it's always it is always an interesting one um because definitely there will always be unique individual cases and for some people it is that experience of like opposites do attract but again i always like to say you know if you're meeting someone who has the same like i'm you know what you said earlier i'm like i'm literally with my venus and mars in cancer i'm like literally so I just want to call in my cancerian husband. Like I'm so old fashioned in that way. I'm just like, I'm not looking to fuck around. I'm not looking to date. Like I'm so clear. I'm just like, I'm calling in my cancerian husband, you know? <laughs> and people meet me and they're like, okay, Daisy, cool. <laughs> they're like, that's sweet. So um, yeah, it's, it's important to know your own chart, your own needs. And then as I like to say, if you meet someone who has the same Venus as you, you're speaking the same love language. There's a beautiful synastry there. If you meet someone who has the Venus in the same element, like in the same, you know, a water sign, fire sign, that's also really good. You know, there's good rapport there between your Venuses. And it's the same with the Mars as well. You know, if you meet someone who has Mars in the same element, Mars in the same sign as you, again, there's going to be a very strong sexual understanding and synastry there in the way that you can meet each other's sexual needs so yeah that's really good to know i as you were describing that i was like how quick is it when you've been dating someone to be like can i have all of your birth chart details can you send that over to me in a pdf please so i can check you yeah, out i do it immediately because my thing is like you know at the end of the day it's like when it comes to relationships if all the universe wants is for us to be in our most authentic expression then a relationship is only going to be supported to flourish if you can if you are authentic with that person and if you support each other's authenticity so that's really helped me in when it comes to meeting people to be like if this is the right person for me and if I want this interaction to be supported I have to be as authentic as I can from the get-go so from the get-go I'm just like like immediately as soon as I meet people I'm like tell me what your birth details are <laughs> I agree and thank you again for saying that because there is something about I because I've just stepped back into the the world of dating after taking a big break there's something really for me, sometimes it feels very vulnerable to show up completely as mm. I am and to meet somebody that may not get that, to meet somebody that may not get that. And I don't know what it is in my chart, but I know just from me personally that I have a tendency to almost manipulate my energy and it, it's just like an unconscious thing that I do to allow people to be com comfortable so uh, to allow people to be comfortable which is probably why I'm good at the work that I do because whoever I land talking to they will end up talking a lot about the things that they have been through and they feel safe and they feel secure and I think it's because my energy is generally a wrapper and it can be like hey let's create safe space and yeah. so what I've been learning around that is to actually 
show up to dates and to watch when my energy goes, I'm going to wrap you up in a safe space because they feel freaking amazing. And then I come back and I'm like, Ooh, I don't know. I don't know what that was. And I, it takes me a while just to, to, to gather myself, um, to come back to who I am. And so I find the field of dating is so, um, exciting and also can be challenging when we have that level of consciousness to really check in with our field to ensure that we're showing up as completely authentic to ourselves. because if we're not doing that we may be like a couple of months down the line and then realize that you know we've we've we're with somebody that really isn't supporting our growth and we're not supporting their growth and really we don't want to be with people like that we want to be with someone who's in that that big alignment and where we can grow and evolve together totally and it's yeah wow so much to say about that but yeah it's i i'm so obsessed lately with alchemy like inner alchemy and again like with alchemy it's always like we have to do the opposite of what we think we should do to have what we want in the end basically um and when it comes to dating and everything it's like we might be afraid to say something because we think it could ruin the relationship. But the only way to have a d deeper connection with that person is to state that need. And that's the inner alchemy. It's like when we do the opposite of kind of what we want to do, then that will actually create a deeper space or it's just a filtration process, which, you know, I, I was saying, I say now this all the time, like in all my workshops and everything, but you know, getting comfortable with rejection. Like I literally now even have my number in my handbag and I'll be like, if I see a cute person, you know, cute guy, I'll just be like, hey, here's my number, <laughs> you know? Um, and it's this thing of just like, be rejected as many times as you can. So you get to the point where you're just like not taking it personally anymore. <laughs> God, I love that. I'm going to take a leaf out of your book because that is ultimately, I think a lot of the time we're fearful of being rejected maybe yeah. I'm just speaking for myself but I do feel like it is quite a blanket thing to say that we are so fearful of being rejected depending it might be something underneath of that of why we're fearful of being rejected but sometimes yeah. for me it can feel like an actual death you know to be rejected is so freaking yeah. painful that I will avoid it at all costs so I love that you are giving yourself that space to go you know what the more I get rejected the less that actually hurts and the more I can be open to having that rejection so that I can when I meet the right person when you meet your cancerian husband like <laughs> feel that it's okay I can be me I can be completely me without having to modify or shift in case of rejection so I think that's really inspiring yeah yeah I love it it's and and there's also because I'm obsessed with tapping at the moment like EFT and there's a really good tapping by Gala Darling on YouTube called tapping for romantic rejection and so I recommend for anybody to just couple it you know if you're feeling rejected go and do the tapping and then go out again and get rejected again woohoo <laughs> brilliant I'm into it now I'm in the dating game again I'm gonna get right on that <laughs> Okay, so um, we're going to need to wrap up. I feel like I could ask question after question after question because this is such an amazing conversation to have. So last question, which does involve sexuality again, is if you could tell your younger self something about sex that you know now that you didn't know then, what would that be? I would just say... Mm. 
I'd say there's nothing wrong with you and you're up, you're safe. This is normal. You're not doing anything wrong. You're not bad and you're so loved and you know, this is, you're just human. So just embrace yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I was just speaking to my little girl. I was like, I'm going to cry. <laughs> there was something in that as well, because you closed your eyes and I want to encourage everybody who does listen to this podcast. When I do ask this question to close your eyes and imagine that you are literally speaking to a younger version of you, because when we do that, rather than just answering the question, you really can feel sometimes your child receiving that and that can bring up tears and emotion. And I think that's a really beautiful thing that you've just brought Daisy, the reminder that if we really mean it and focus on actually letting our child hear that, that it can be a healing thing to say. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. And um, last, last question is that, Oh my goodness. I, I know that you have so much more that you talk about in all of the realms of astrology, but, but, but so much more. I feel like every single day um, I pop onto your Instagram page and you have so many stories or, um, and, and posts, which is just flowing so much wisdom out um, into the world. So I would love for folks to know where to find you, what it is that you have on offer right now that people can get stuck into and anything else that you want to share about. Thank you. Yeah, I just want to say it's been so nice speaking with you. It's been such a beautiful conversation and just, yeah, beautiful flow. So thank you so much for that. And in terms of what I'm offering, I have an online astrology school with courses and some mini workshops, which you can find through my website or through my Instagram. Um, yeah, I post, I try to post daily or, you know, as regularly as I can on Instagram, what's happening astrologically and giving people some tools and some clues as to how to understand the stars. And yeah, I do regular workshops, like kind of every two weeks, every month um, around different topics. So, and there's some exciting projects coming out in the new year soon, which, which, yeah, I'll be speaking about soon. (laughs) Perfect. So basically stay online and where can we find you on Instagram? Yes. So my handle is at flowers for days. And so four is F O R and then days is D A I S. Okay. So I'm going to stick all of that in the show notes so people can just click on in right now and begin following you and um, getting involved with the work that you do. But for now, oh, Daisy, thank you. Thank you. From the bottom of my heart, I feel that this has been an inspirational conversation and um, I've learned a lot about myself and it's put some pieces into place that's going to really support me in regards to dating and sex. Um, You've given me a bit of a space to go, oh, it's okay to feel like this it's been that Lilith piece so thank you and um, I look forward to speaking to you and um, being a part of everything that you're doing soon oh thank you yeah it's such a pleasure and touche right back at you Thank you for tuning in for this episode of Conversations with Pussy. If you enjoyed this episode, please do go online, go onto social media and share it with your family, with your friends, with strangers. Always remember to tag me in on Instagram if you share that as a story. And my Instagram, in case you have forgotten, is grace underscore 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 hazel. Thank you for listening and we will catch up next week.